love Christmas songs. I, I like them. The messages are so simple, so basic, and yet so, so practical and powerful. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles tonight. Turn over to the book of Acts chapter 7 again. Acts chapter 7 again tonight, and uh, we continue with our study here. Let's begin reading in verse 54. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Well, we know and spoke and kind of touched on last week the reality that Stephen was a very unusual man. He was a, a wonderful picture 
of what a believer ought to be. And so we took some time to look at Stephen, to consider Stephen. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, we know the Bible says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we began to talk about the fact or the qualities that Stephen possessed. The qualities. And so we looked at his qualifications, if you will. So we saw his character, we saw his qualities, but they measured up or added up to some real qualifications. And these men were of tremendous character that were chosen and picked out of those uh, 50,000 members of that Jerusalem church. They uh, were recognized for their integrity and their character and their spirituality. Very noticeable, very visible. And so we were glad to see that even in the early church that There were men and there were women of spiritual integrity, spiritual character. And Stephen, of course, was one of those. We came to a principle, though, and we kind of boiled it down a little bit. And we said, all right, based on what we're learning about Stephen, we said the principle is this then. People are not to be enlisted to serve in a position based upon prestige, prominence, prosperity, or personality, but instead spirituality and character. We said a position of leadership is to only be awarded after a pattern of holiness and Christ-like conduct is evident. And again, that's a principle that we need to maintain at Community Baptist Temple. And that's a principle that needs maintained across the board in churches around America and around the world. And so we asked the question that night, what are your spiritual credentials? And what do you bring to the table? What qualifies you to serve the master in a public capacity? Uh, We're not talking about you just got saved and uh, you're going to serve and uh, maybe help us with uh, some things around the church and that's a good thing, it's a needed thing. We're talking about being in a public position whether it's being a Sunday school teacher or, or singing some specials, ultimately even getting on the platform as a choir member, things that are before the people, things that set you, in a sense, above or place you in a position where people are seeing you. And we said, so what are your credentials? Because there has to be or there ought to be a pattern of Christian character and conduct. If there isn't, then that's going to undermine the authority of the church. It'll undermine the authority and the, 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 the position that God has even. His, this place is supposed to be a place, a house of prayer. It's supposed to be a place of purity, holiness. So, you know, we, we noted that. And then we finally closed it down by saying once again that Stephen was that example. What a tremendous example of courage and just a character, integrity, great wisdom, the Bible says. So those were his qualifications. And so as we move forward tonight, I want to begin talking about not only his qualifications, but tonight I want to address his participation, his participation. So before we do, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. Thank you for these that have gathered tonight. Lord, uh, we are 
truly thankful for you and just the the presence that you uh, provide us with. Not only the presence here tonight, but literally your presence in our life daily, consistently, 24-7. And because of that, we thank you for the power that's ours to perform the Christian life and to live in a way that pleases you. And Lord, when we fail you, we're grateful that you provide us with opportunities to be right with you again. Thank you now, Lord. We need you tonight. May we Father, learn as we consider Stephen tonight. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So his participation. Look, if you would, at Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Go back just a little bit there in the Bible. One more chapter back. Chapter 6, verse 8. Again, his qualifications. Notice here, right off the bat, he kind of touches on it again. And then he goes on to speak of his participation. He says in chapter 6, verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You know, at at times we get the idea that the only ones doing the great works were the apostles. You know, we're, you know, uh, the the twelve, if you will. We know the apostle Paul, of course, uh, as an apostle out of due season, but... As we note these apostles, we think, well, those are the ones that did those mighty deeds. You know, the one Jesus sent out while he was on earth. But wait a second. We find here that a man by the name of Stephen was doing some mighty works here. I mean, great wonders and miracles among the people. So he was given this and endowed with this tremendous power. He was participating. He was involved. He he was busy about the work of God. You know, Stephen wasn't one to sit and soak on the sidelines, but instead he was constantly growing in faith and he gave of himself. He didn't attend the church and simply demand to be fed, but instead sought to increase in learning and then share his faith by serving in the local church. I say there's no way in the world you're going to ever become what God intends you to be by sitting in that pew. Never. It's never enough. You say, well, pastor, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit bored with the services. I'm a little bit, I'm not getting what I ought to be getting. I just feel like I'm no longer fed. I mean, the first couple, three years was good. Now it just doesn't seem to help. That's because you're still sitting right where you were and you haven't gotten involved in the ministry and you're not in a position where you're forced to do something more than you've been doing. I'm telling you, it's very difficult if you do not start Allow yourself to be stretched. If you don't extend yourself, if you don't get out of your comfort zone a little bit, you say, well, I'm a little bit insecure about talking to people about the Lord. Well, if you would talk to people about the Lord, you know what you'd find yourself really doing? Studying. You'd be digging in the Bible. You'd be looking in God's Word. You'd be trying to get the plan down and memorize some scriptures. Why? Because you knew, you knew you were going to run into somebody going to ask you a question that you didn't know, and you're not going to look stupid. So you're going to get in that thing and start figuring it out. And let me tell you, you really grow. You know when you really grow? Not when you're listening to the pastor, but when you're on your knees in the presence of God, when you're in the Word of God on your own, and God's speaking to your heart. That's when you really grow in the Lord. And so Stephen was a man that did great wonders, the Bible says. Why? Because he was full of faith and power. And he did great miracles among the people. This was not a man who was just content to go to church. This was a man that wanted to make a difference and change the world. 
Well, I'll tell you what, that's what we need to do at Community Baptist Temple. I was just thinking this morning, I was just, uh, just thinking and, you know, kind of meditating on this whole thing. And I thought to myself, what a waste of time this is all going to be. This whole thing with the building. All this money and all this effort and all this, this, this uh, sweat and blood and tears. Let me tell you something. It's a waste of time if we go up and do exactly what we've been doing. It's a waste of time. Let me tell you something. We need to walk into that building saying we're going to change the world. We're going to change the world. We're going to be given a platform and an opportunity to do something we've never been able to do necessarily. Oh, I know we've had every chance with God's Word. I realize that. But God's given us another platform. He's put us in another place. It's time that we get it out of our mindset. We're just going to play church and do church. No, we're going to be God's co-laborers. We're going to go out and reach the world. We're going to do something to change our world. If we do anything less than that, we will have failed. I want to get to heaven one day and go, well, Lord, you know, we, we held the fort. We kept the doors open. We never compromised. Bless God. I'm glad. I hope and trust and pray we never compromise. But let me tell you something. I want to hold the fort. I'm going to storm the gates. Amen. Stephen was one of those barn burner type preachers, I got to believe. He was one that went into a town and when he arrived, things started changing. Things started happening. The truth is that God saved each of us to serve. I, I know, I know he saved us because he wants to have fellowship with us, but He saved us to serve. Take your Bible, look at Hebrews chapter 9, please. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. Let me ask you a question. Are you one of those people, and there's, I think there's a couple different types of people in the world, but let me boil it down to two types real quick, and I know that's a little bit simplistic. Are you those kind of, are you one of those people who when you, read a success story, it discourages you? Or are you that person, when you read a success story, it motivates you? Which one? I mean, don't answer, please. But which person are you? When you hear about somebody doing something great for God, does that make you want to do something great for God? Or does that make you go, I could never do that? You, You get where I'm going with this? Are you the one that reads the biography of a great man or woman of God and walks away going, man, I am inspired to be better than I've ever been and to do more for God than ever? Or do you go, wow, I could never live up to that. I mean, are you that person that hears about someone that's extremely successful in business and or doing a great, doing well at their job, and, and you hear about that, and you just, you, you're like, oh, well, it works for them, I guess, but that ain't me. Or you like, man, I, I just, man, if I just work harder, man, if I just, I, I want to do that. You, you know what I'm saying? 
I have no reason for bringing that up. I just want you to think about that. Because can I tell you something? You, you, we need to get motivated to do more. We got to get inspired to be better. And we need to look at what God's doing in certain places of this earth. I mean, you think about, you, you think about China. What's going, over, going on in China with the underground church. And what they're accomplishing and the souls that are being saved and the, the lives that have been transformed and changed. And, and here they are growing by leaps and bounds in China, Christianity is. And here we are in America where we have access to every single media outlet possible and we have access to freedoms that permit us to literally confront people on the street. And Christianity is disappearing. I mean, doesn't China make you want to do something great in America? It doesn't move you. Well, you know, we've just got a lot of persecution. People don't want to hear it today, preacher. Over in China, they're throwing them in jail for it. Man, we ought to be fired up about the opportunities we have. You know, in Stephen's day, they were getting thrown in jail. In Stephen's day, they were dying for their faith. Stephen was such a man of courage and confidence and character and Christ-likeness. He just said, man, I want to do greater wonders and miracles than ever. God use me. I'm sure that's what he was saying. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. That's what God wants to do. He wants to use us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Isn't it interesting how he ties the blood of Christ to our service here? You know, God never saved you to sit. He saved you to serve. Now, everybody doesn't serve necessarily in the same capacity. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Everybody has different abilities, and everybody has different talents, and everybody is, is you know, I mean, we, obviously we're all to be a witness and a testimony. I understand that. But not everybody's going to sing, and not everybody's going to teach, and not everybody's going to clean, and not everybody's, not we all should be clean. But the fact is, is that not everyone's going to do the same thing. There are some of you out there, please do not cook. And there are others, please bring it on. Amen. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Now, now, see, some of you are going, well, I hope he knows what... No, you want to know something? Can I tell you how human nature is? Everybody that cooks thinks they're a good cook or they wouldn't be doing it. So I'm safe here. Some of you are going, I know somebody shouldn't be cooking. Well, that's on you, not me. I don't know anybody, okay, personally, okay? I don't personally know anybody. I'll tell you one thing. You, I know what's going to happen this Christmas season. I already know. I'm going to gain weight. Because I get cookies, and I get certain things given to me, and, and I like them. I don't get things. I, I don't know that I've ever gotten, well, there might have been one or two things through the entire time I've been a pastor. I went, eh. But usually it's like, yeah. So anyway, anyway, if you can't cook, though, please don't. You don't necessarily have the gift of cooking. I don't know. I don't have the gift of cooking, cleaning, or changing diapers. 
Never have, never will have it. <laughs> My wife's trying to train me. But anyway, <laughs> honey, I don't have the gift, do I? No, I don't. She, matter of fact, she tells me to stay out of her kitchen because I wreck it every time I get in it. How many, how many of you ladies in here don't like your husbands in the kitchen? They destroy it. Yeah. No, my, you know, she's hoping you'll get in. But yeah, if only he would get in that kitchen. But anyway. But notice he says, how, he says, how much more so the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. God wants us to serve him. He saved us to serve. He, he cleansed us to serve. He provided us every opportunity to succeed in service. See, our purpose for existing is not realized simply by being saved. I mean, our purpose is realized in our sanctification, our separation, and our service. We never become or fully reach or attain to that place where God wants us if we're not plugged in, if we're not involved, if we're not making a difference in lives. It's interesting to note that when man was created, he was created with a purpose. I mean, no doubt that purpose, one of those purposes, if you will, was to fellowship with God, but he was also given responsibility and activity. Look at Genesis 2.15. We live in a society, and again, I, I'm, you know, we're all partially guilty of this to some degree or another probably, where the word W-O-R-K is part of a horrible vocabulary, where it's, it's a bad word. Ooh, work, ah. Ooh, work, ah, ooh. You know, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's like somebody says, hey, we got to get some work, ooh, work. Oh, that's so, ooh, that almost just grieves my spirit, that word. You know, I mean, it's kind of that way, it seems somewhat. Even, even workers will say, you know, um, it's better to work, you know, uh, let's see, how is it? Work uh, smart than work hard. It's better to work smart than hard, something like that. Uh, what's that? It's better to work smarter, not harder. Uh, yeah, and, and to some degree, that's true. But you know what? Let's first get the hard work thing figured out. Then we'll work on being smart. It seems to me that all these young people, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are growing up trying to work smarter instead of harder, and they haven't even learned what work is yet. I'd like them to learn that harder part before they figure the smarter part out. I read something from, uh, who was it, Uh, C.S. Lewis today. And C.S. Lewis said, you know, it's about time that uh, that, that we stop teaching all these subjects in school. He says... All we're doing is breeding mediocrity among our students. They can't be good at anything because there's too many things we're trying to teach them at once. Isn't that something? He says we got 10 subjects we're trying to teach them. He goes, all we end up doing is wrecking them for the rest of their lives because we teach them to be mediocre at everything. Isn't that something? I've never really thought of it quite like that. I've always felt that way as a student. (laughs) But nonetheless, I mean, as I heard that, I thought, wow, that's good. Now, some of you young people, you didn't hear that statement I just said. C.S. Lewis, he's a, eh, he's nothing, he's stupid. Doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not an educator. He's not an educator. Plus, he's no longer around, so 
you know, that shows you how right he was. But anyway, man had a purpose. Notice, notice this passage now in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Real simple, or 2.15, I'm sorry. And the Lord God took the man. We know who that man was. That was Adam. And, and he's representative of all mankind, mind you. We, we know that. Why? Because when he fell, he affected all of us, didn't he? But notice it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Do you know that when God created man, he gave him a job? I mean, that was one of his purposes, to work. To care for those things which God cared about. God provided those for Adam and then said, By the way, I'm going to give them to you, but you're going to have to continue to work at it. Do you know God gave you some talents, but your talents are no good if you don't put any work behind them? You, do you realize that God's given you a few things? Maybe He's given you some abilities to get the job you have, but if you don't work at that job, you're going to lose it? I mean, He says, you got this wonderful garden, but now I'm going, to, I'm going to put you in it to dress and to keep it. So if you don't dress and keep it, guess what? It won't be dressed and keep, Adam. It won't be so nice anymore. But you know what? I don't believe before the fall that work was that bad. I'm not talking about that it wasn't work, but what I mean by that is, is it was pleasurable. It produced. It wasn't so... so um, I don't know, you know, the sweat of the brow, you know, that, you know, you're working hard, you're, you're, you're striving just to make ends meet. You ever live like that? See, I don't believe that's how it felt when you worked in the garden. I believe when you put your hand to something, it produced. It made work fun. I don't know about you, but if I could go to work tomorrow and make ten times what I'm making today, it'd be fun. Right? So if I just work a little harder, I would make 10 times what I would normally, in a sense. You, know, you get what I'm saying? I mean, I could work the same eight hours, but make four or five times more. It'd be like, hey, I'm looking forward to tomorrow working. And I think a lot of you would, too. But the point being is, is that God created us to work, to, to, to serve. That's part of why he saved us, so that we can get plugged into his plan. His purpose. In the book of Matthew, we're reminded of this. We find there in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Again, here we have Jesus entering into Peter's house. He sees his wife's mother there, laid sick, now, I don't know if his mother-in-law was living with him or if she was just there sick. I'm not sure which it was. But she was there at, in Peter's, into Peter's house, saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. I got a feeling she was living with him. Now, maybe she wasn't, but I wouldn't doubt it. By the way, you know that in, in the past, it wasn't uncommon to take care of your parents when they got older? I, I don't, I'm sure this won't be politically correct in the day and age in which we live, but I believe that every son has a responsibility to take care of his parents when they get older. I believe every daughter has a responsibility to take care of their parents. I mean, I, I understand. We, everybody's, you know, everybody's situation, you know, we all have the, you know, but, but wait a second. Let's be careful we don't allow our, ourselves to get between doing what we know we should do. 
Can I tell you why we're not doing that? Can I get, I'm, I'm off the rails now. But can I tell you why we're not taking care of our parents today like we did in the past? I, I'm going I'm to show you why. Stand up. Uh, let's see. I want to be careful how I do this. Stand up since you guys can't get mad. Here's why. I'm going to show you why we don't know. Here it is. And this is about as simple as it gets. For the most part now. There's always exceptions. Because she's working. And he's working. We don't have time to take care of our parents. Because they're both too busy. I'm, I'm, no, look, you can be seated. Now, she doesn't really work outside the home. She doesn't. But I'm just saying, that's why he would be too busy to take care of his mother if she got sick. Or her daddy, his daddy. Because she's too busy. She's, she got to make money to, so that they can afford a nice car and a nice house. Now, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just telling you. I told you I was off the rails here. I'm not talking politically correct now. I'm just telling you why things like that don't get done today. Because we're too tied up in our own lives to take care of anybody else. And all I'm saying is, be careful with that one. You young people, listen, I don't know if there's a parent in here that wouldn't want to believe that their children would be willing to take care of them if they were sick. But you know how? what I find? Most parents say this. I, if I get sick, I don't think there's anybody really to take care of me. I get that so much you can't imagine. They're scared to death to grow old and get sick because they don't believe there's anybody that would really take care of them if they really needed somebody. And that's sad today, isn't it? We're Christians. We discussed that in our Timothy study stones, didn't we? It all comes back, doesn't it? But work. Here's the, Peter's mother-in-law. She's obviously staying at their house. And in this case, she's laid up. She's sick. But notice, the Lord Jesus enters his home, touches her hand. The fever leaves her. And she goes get some water and has somebody wait on her and give her some food and meet her needs. And No, you know what she does? She jumps up and starts serving. Isn't that crazy? She jumps up and starts serving. But wait a second. What's the picture? I think it's obvious. One, we're sick with sin raging in our lives too. Just like her fever, we, are, we have a fever of sin. But, but wait, Jesus touched us too with His grace and mercy and our sin was washed away. He made us well again. Well, wait a second then. That means then we're to rise afresh and anew to minister to the one who ministered to us and to those he loves as well. That means we're not saved and not cured simply so that we can be ministered to. No, quite the opposite. The picture is, is the moment we're saved, we ought to be thinking about how we can meet the needs of others. And that's what Stephen was doing. Stephen was involved he was plugged in for us who are saved it's important that we understand the prerequisite however to effective service I mean, what does it take to really be effective in this thing called the Christian life to serve effectively well obviously we need to yield our hearts to the Lord we need to yield our lives to the master and when we do that, he does a transforming work in us, and, and in turn, he prepares us for effective service. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, turn there, would you please? 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. 
if we're going to be effective in our service, if we're really going to accomplish what God intends us to, then it's important that we understand this truth. We, I think we all understand we ought to be serving. Now, and again, like I said, everybody's serving at different places, different capacities, and in different places in your life. I promise you, if you're taking care of a sick loved one or a family member, it puts you in a much more difficult place to even be here at times. I'm not saying that you ought to be skipping church and using that as an excuse. But unfortunately, if it requires 24-hour care, you're going to struggle to get here at times. And you better work something out to get somebody to work with you so you can be at God's house. Because if you're not here, I've watched it happen. Eventually, people grow away from God. They become bitter toward everything and everyone. And before you know it, they're gone. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. Find a way to get here consistently. If you have to, pay somebody. I mean, do something. Find somebody in the church. Work with somebody. Find a way to get yourself in church on a regular basis, even if it's just once a week. But be in God's house consistently. Notice this now. In 1 Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We know that as Paul the Apostle is talking to these people, they were a people that were extremely rooted in sin in their past. Very wicked, sinful past. Even idolatrous past. We see that. It's obvious. He makes it very clear. He says, For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. You know, we're very aware. We've been made aware of how much the impact we had in your lives, so much so that ye, how ye turned to God from idols. They turned to God from idols. They turned to God from idols. They, they, were, they were worshiping idols and they turned to God. They, they were worshiping idols and they turned to God. Isn't that great? This is what transpired. This is what took place. And then notice it says, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So as they're worshiping idols, they're probably serving them as well, it it seems. So they're worshiping idols and serving idols, but they turn to God from idols to now serve the living and true God. You say, well, what's the big deal? We know that. Well, here's the prerequisite to effective service then. Notice, turn to God from idols first before they served. Did did you get that? They they turn from idols to, to God. Then they what? Served Him. If we're not careful, we want to serve God before we turn from idols. I'll teach. Are you serving God? I mean, I mean, I mean, have you turned from idols? Excuse me, have you turned from idols? Well, what do you mean? I don't know that we got to spend a lot of time on this. I mean, I, I'll do that. I'll sing a special. Uh, have you turned from idols? Just kind of curious. 
See, God has a prerequisite. What he's saying is, you want to be really effective, you've got to turn from the idol to the living God first, then you serve him. We're, we've, we've got a, a whole culture who believes, a church culture, mind you, that doesn't believe you have to have any separation, any sanctification at all, but you can just go ahead and serve God because all that matters is that you're serving Him. That's not what the Bible teaches. In his book, Guided by Grace, Paul Chappell defines idolatry, and he defines it by saying, idolatry is the dedication of our love, affection, and allegiance to any person, object, pursuit, or pleasure in place of, apart from, or above our love and loyalty to God. A spouse or child, a job or ministry, a habit or hobby, material possessions or monetary wealth and financial security can become the personal and private idols to which we bow when no one is looking. It is imperative that we address the shortcomings of the hidden man of the heart if we ever expect to truly glorify the Lord in our efforts. Isn't that good? That's, that's what we learn. See, in Hebrews, we understand that God is not so short-sighted like man is. Go ahead and stand up, would you please, brother? Can I tell you that as I look at this young man, turn around, please. Keep turning. Keep turning. Keep turning. Look at him. Look at him well. Stop turning. You may be seated. The fact is, is that I look at him just like you did. You went, man, that's a sharp young fellow. But you don't know what he does when he's not here. Oh, he's a good guy. Why? Because he smiles when you shake his hand in the hallway? Is it, Really? He looks sharp. He's got a tie on. His hair's nice and cut. cut. He's, you know, needs to shine his shoes. But, but other than that, he's doing pretty good. No, he's doing great. He looks sharp. He's a good young fella. But wait a second. If I said to you, he's very interested in your daughter, and it says to stop for a minute. He's 20 years old now. Your daughter's 19. And you say, he's interested in your daughter, and he he's really wants to marry her, or he really likes her a lot. You'd look at him differently than you do right now. All of a sudden, you'd look past the tie. All of a sudden, you might look at him and go, I don't care what his hair looks like. I want to know if he gets out of bed on time. I want to know if he goes to school or college. I want to know if he's consistent at work. I want to know if he's lazy or not. I want to know if he's got some kind of motivation in his life. I want to know if somebody, his mommy has to wake him and kick him out of bed every day or if he just plays video games all night long. I want to know something about him because it's not enough to see what he looks like. And you know what? In our churches, you know what? All we want to look at so often and all we think that matters is how it looks on the outside. I don't get why so-and-so's not serving here. I don't understand the pastor. He's just, it's all about his family. It's, it's all about the clique that he runs with. It's all about those people that he loves the most. It's not about everybody. Wait a second, you don't know everything. That's right. Come on. Do you, let, me, let me ask you something. Does reading your Bible matter to you? Do you think a teacher ought to read their Bible daily? Hey, listen, if I sit down with someone and say, you want to teach, and I find out they don't lead their Bible daily, I don't think I want them teaching. Amen. If you've been saved 10 years and you're still struggling to read your Bible consistently, friend, you are not as godly as you think. Are you kidding me? 
It's just so hard to read my Bible and pray. What? After 10 years of knowing him, you still can't get it? I'm telling you, you've got to realize that the standard is not that low. This is not the standard. That's the standard the church has made. That's the standard that the world has made. That's not God's standard for you and me. I'm not trying to put nobody down. I'm just telling you that we make excuse after excuse for why we are not spiritual and why we have no godly character. And we keep telling ourselves it's because of this or it's because of that or it's because of them or it's because of him or it's because of her or it's because of my wife, it's my husband, it's that all those children, it's all those chores, it's all that work, it's all the, no time left to do it. Those are all lies that the devil gives you. That's not true at all. You know why you're not godly? You want to know why you have no godly character? You want to know why you still struggle? Because you have no discipline. That's it. That's exactly if, that, if that's the case, because you, you can't discipline your life. It's because you're not yielding to the Lord. Because He'll give you the character you need to get that done. He's already living in you. I mean, wait a second. Last I checked, He actually raised with, spiritual, with resurrection power, remember? That same power is what you have to read your Bible every day. That's the same power you have to pray every day. That's the same power that you and I have to witness or to serve or to do what we do. Hey, listen, you're here tonight. You had the discipline to get here. Why can't you just put that into practice tomorrow morning? Do that. Well, God sees the heart. He sees past that tie. He sees past that hairdo. Past those nice clothes. He sees all past that. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him of whom he had to do. It scares me when somebody that has no standard says, God doesn't care what's on the outside. He cares what's on the inside. That scares me. I feel for them. I feel for them. Because he does know. And if you can't serve God on the outside, you can't look a certain way for God on the outside, don't tell me that you got it on the inside. Are you kidding me? I'm not talking about a newly saved person. I'm talking somebody that grew up in a fundamental church. I'm talking about somebody that's heard the truth and knows the truth and has seen it right in front of their very eyes. We're, we're kidding ourselves. We are so quick to dismiss those secret sins. Everybody's got theirs. Right? And, and everybody goes, well, yeah, it's true. Really? Yeah. Because you have all these things going on, that means everybody does. That's like because you struggle in your marriage, everybody else has a problem in their marriage. Because your kids are undisciplined and you struggle with that and you're pulling your hair out of your head every day, that means everybody else is too, every mom in America is. Uh-uh. No, it doesn't. See, you, you and I need to wake up to a reality here. That the standard is not someone else. The standard is God. He, in this word, tells you you can have the happy marriage that you've longed for. He's the one that tells you your children can be disciplined and you don't have to be a wreck. He's the one that tells you you can experience joy. He's the one that tells you that you can be successful in your Christian life. He's the one that tells you that you can overcome the flesh and get on your knees and get in the word of God every day. He's the one that says you can do that. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him. It's not what can I do for God. It's what can God do for me. He can do it if I'll let him.
We follow that in. But we've got to be pure. And we've got to be clean. We're never going to be effective in serving God if we're still bearing the marks of Adam. If we continue to live that way. This idea that we can never rise above our sin is a lie. That's a lie. That's not biblical. Read chapter 6 of Romans. Reckon yourselves also to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. Read chapter 6 of Romans. Quit listening to yourself and start listening to God. You don't have to live bound by sin. And neither do I. And if I am, it's because I choose to do so. This is the Wednesday crowd. There's a different crowd on Wednesday than there is Sunday morning. If I said some of the things I've said tonight on Sunday morning, people would be falling over. They, 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 they wouldn't understand it. And that's why, listen, that's why there will be no. There will be no. What's that stuff called? Live streaming? On Wednesday nights when Community Baptist Temple won't get in the new building. I don't want everybody to hear what I just told you tonight. I just talked to the family. We just had a sit down around the kitchen table. You know what? The world can't handle what we just talked about. And all we would do is cause ourselves to be labeled if they heard something like what I've talked about tonight. Oh, those self-righteous, egotistical Baptists, only ones that are right, this and that and everything else. So when we get to the new building, we won't be doing the live streaming like we're doing it now. Now, we may have a sign-in live streaming, and we may try to work that out. But we'll know you've signed in, and we will know everybody that has signed in. It won't just be for everybody and anybody that wants to sign in. Nobody that's not a member of this church will sign in. We find out that's happening, I'll shut it all down. Because there are things that cannot be said to anybody but the family. I hope you have those times in your home. And that's what we just had tonight. I hope that that time encourages you and helps you. It's not always easy. But at least in our home, it was something I think that people walked away and said, Wow, Dad's serious about this. All right. Well, I'll think about it. I'll give it some thought. And then we saw God do some great things in the lives of our kids. Because we had those open discussions. Instead of trying to pretend that they're just supposed to get it on their own. So tonight was a family session. We want to thank you, Stephen, for your testimony. As we considered Stephen tonight, we learned some things about ourselves and about the work of God. And that's what the Word of God is supposed to do. And that's why God left that testimony there for us. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time together. And Lord, we thank you, Father, for just the people of God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Now, Lord, not one of us is perfect. We understand that. But, Lord, we need to strive for perfection in our life. We need to at least yield our hearts wholeheartedly to you. We need to put ourselves in a position where we make up our mind we're going to obey you 
and trust your Holy Spirit to empower us and depend on Him and Him alone to do just that. Father, help us, Lord. We need you tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed as we...